spelling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in the galaxy, Woodstock, New York, this is the podcast that pulls the curtain back on the natural products industry. Episode 78 is here, and we're going to go through the five or more supplements that I think you should stop like right now. So with me here is Dana. Hello. Hello, Dana. So please, 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 before we get started, I just want to remind you, hop on over to your social media channel of choice. Don't say anything about Republicans or liberals, and instead give us a shout out to your pals. Let them know that you're having lots of fun over here. It helps us grow and it keeps me going. Uh, I feed off of your likes and subscribes. It's it, true. He's very needy. <laughs> if you got something you want to talk about, email podcast at woodstockvitamins.com. I've been getting lots of feedback about the episodes, which is awesome. I, I really appreciate it. And actually, I'll probably address something that came up from an email just because I do think that it needs to be addressed. So I will do that. But first, I want to do a little update because here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to need a week or two off. So I'm going to put in some notice now and say that I'm going to take a couple weeks off of the podcast because I'm really trying to think about what would make this podcast cool for everybody. Because right now we're kind of like ping ponging between topics and it's like whatever guests we can get. There's no real theme to the whole thing besides the supplement industry kind of stinks and you have to watch out for it. Oh, yeah, that's right. And the medical industry stinks too. So you have to watch out for that. So kind of thinking about taking a topic like turmeric, for example, and making it into a mini series, right? There's too much to cover in a single show, and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper. So I, I think like this idea will be great. So I'm thinking of each show having at least two parts, but three on average uh, and more if needed. So, for example, instead of hearing me drone on all the time, I'm going to bring the guests back, right? So each time that you hear me, I'll be talking mostly about quality and safety of a particular supplement or some sort of misinformation, general utility of a product or a treatment regimen or something like that. And that would just be me. But then I want to have a show that has like a researcher who's studied the ingredient or something like that, or a clinician who's an expert with that one particular thing. So we get to hear the practical application of it. And then the real thing that I'm looking for is to talk to raw material suppliers. So people whose whole life is that ingredient, for example. So talk about the different options that are in the marketplace and what should be considered when you want to use that product. So I think that'd be pretty cool. What do you think of that strategy, Dana? I love that. And I like I love that on its face. And I will also direct any new listeners to some old episodes. Uh, Sky Chilton was on to talk about mushrooms and Greg Quinn talked to us about currents. And both of those topics were deep dives. And they were very interesting, in my opinion. And, you know, based on the downloads, everyone thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think going deep on each individual ingredient is I just I think that's gonna be awesome. I think it's gonna be really interesting. And I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Me too. So the feedback that I got from last week's episode, we were talking about colds and cough and how to treat them holistically was they didn't really go into detail about the differences between cold symptoms, flu symptoms and COVID and like what to do. Like, do you get tested if you get a sore throat this year? You know, like, do you start panicking? Oh, that's a fair point. Do you get to use up all that toilet paper because you're just pooping yourself with nerves? (laughs) 
because you don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, so I figured we could at least touch on that before we move forward. The, and this was a good suggestion. Thank you. I'm sorry. I missed this last week, but so they all pretty much do the same stuff, right? You can get sore throats. You can get fever, chills, uh, coughs. Uh, you can have difficulty breathing, sore throats. Did I ever say sore throats? But you can get sore throats. And I hate sore throats. Did I ever mm-hmm. tell you that like hell for me would be sore, a sore throat in college? Like I would be back in lecture hall with a sore throat. And I know I'd be in hell if that was the situation oh God, if I woke yeah. up there. Uh, muscle pains, headache, all of that stuff kind of goes with flus and COVID-19. Colds are typically more on the sore throat side of things early and that normally wanes, and then it moves into cough and stuff like that. And the flu stuff ends up being like a very, very severe, unresponsive sore throat. Uh, and fever tends to be really uh, what my patients kind of tell me that they have in those early hours, I would say, early first like three days. Um, of course, the achiness is very pronounced with flu as well. But like, how do you tell the difference between that and COVID? And right now, it's it's really different because uh, there's we, we haven't really been able to qualify or quantify most of it yet because there's this big asymptomatic range. But the big one is the loss of taste or smell. So if you have the cold or flu symptoms and you're losing that taste or smell, then you're in, you're in doo-doo. You might want to you know go get tested. Um, it's really hard to say because they do have so much overlap because they start out as uh, they're all respiratory infections, as yeah. at least they start out with. And our body kind of handles them the same way. It's just that, uh, you know, we the problem is, is like because of what I'm trying to think about in my head is like, so what do you do? Do you go get a test? And I don't know if I've made it clear here, but I'm not a big fan of American covid testing. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's too slow for it to be clinically relevant. Right. You go get a test and five days later. You might get an answer. I don't know. Like right. it's just a mess. So I've I've just been like, eh, only get a test if it starts to get serious. Uh, but I guess if you are um, losing taste or smell, I think that's the big indicator to go. So I, does yeah. that help, or is that a jumbled mess? No, I think that makes sense. I would also recommend from you know just again my personal experience. I said last week that I have a lot of good luck with zinc, and I swear by the Zycam Rapid Melts. For me. That is actually how I tell the difference between whether or not I'm sick with a cold or a flu is that if in the first 24 hours, if the Zycam provides relief, then I have a cold and I continue to take it. I rarely get a flu, so the Zycam usually helps. But I would say try that now because we know that zinc doesn't help with anything else, including COVID. So if you take Zycam and you start to feel better, then you have a cold and just treat it like that. But yeah, I'd say the loss of taste and smell is the best indicator of whether or not you have COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I'll touch on just because Dana kind of mentioned is a lot of people come to me and say, I, I'm just getting over a flu or, you know, I think I had the flu. And the truth is, is almost anybody who has a cold in the winter tells me that it's the flu. And what I tell people to differentiate a cold uh, and a flu, like a serious cold and a flu, even though we do have a bunch of whiners around here in Woodstock, I'm just saying, um, <laughs> is the severity. Um, so if you feel like you got hit by a truck is one of the descriptors that even my nurse friends have told me when they suffer from it. Or if I were to put $200 cash on your bedroom door and you're too sick to get out of bed to get it, 
that's probably a flu. And I can do a whole like um, Jeff Foxworthy routine, you know, around yeah. this whole thing. But but that's really it. It's the severity, the intensity of it. Um, but yeah, if you have a, a, a bad cold and, and it stinks, but you can kind of do stuff, that's a good sign that it's not a flu either. So uh, that being said, flu shots are in. Woo, woo, woo. We're having a flu shot party. Uh, actually, we did this last year at a uh, birthday party before I ran a mini flu clinic. Oh, no <laughs> yeah. kidding. Yeah, I, I just like uh, we set up a space, privacy, did the whole like dis- disinfectant thing, had everybody sign all their paperwork, build their insurance and everything. Nice. <laughs> like gave people a flu shot before we had my 39th birthday party. So, Oh, I'll get one today if, yeah, uh, before so I leave. They got it downstairs. Nice. And uh, yep, so uh, I'll be immunizing my children, which is always fun. Last year when I did it, um, uh, they started screaming and kicking and running upstairs and slamming the doors. And I'm like, and that's like out of nowhere. And this is for my kids were always great with immunizations. I remember one year, Ava, she was like two and she like, she just like watches the doctor go to her arm. And then she just kind of like, is like, all right, whatever. And then like, just, just looks back at me and, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that was awesome. And, uh, because she's I had heard the, she's all the, the one stories. that gives good side eye, right? Yeah. She's, yeah. Uh, she's way too grown for her age. <laughs> I love that picture. She's just glaring at her brother and I'm like, woo. Yeah. Old blooded. Yeah, they're they're aging right in front of us. Um Okay, let's talk about COVID. So what do you think like with this podcast? Do you think we should do the seasons thing like people talk about and like maybe like three or four topics a season? Or should we just go straight through after that? Because I know we're counting episodes. Yeah. Well, I I, I treat each year as a season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like a TV thing to do. Like the calendar year. So yeah. January to December. Exactly. Got but it. we can make our topics seasonal. Yes. Like I can't. You can't plan that far ahead. So, all right. So again, what I'll do is I'll also try to vary up the topics a little bit. So I'm not droning on and on for months about like gut health or something like that. So that way, or like herbal painkillers. So we'll be able to switch it up for you to keep you interested. So I want to state for the record that I could talk about poop all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, we can have a poop chapter in our lives. Um, So COVID. Yeah. How's that going for you? We're going to sell drugs to pay for our COVID bills is what I've seen. Uh Um, The, Pennsylvania governor wants it legal to sell marijuana to help bump the economy and close the gaps that have been caused because of COVID, which I think is a great idea. I think that we should sell drugs to pay our bills. In yeah, fact, it's working for Colorado, right? I just started watching Breaking Bad. And yeah, I kind of feel like I could be that guy. <laughs> I can the see one you that being dies. that guy. Not the, not the one that ties in the first episode. Um, anyway, so obesity increases the risk of COVID by 48% and doubles your risk of hospitalization. So now we have numbers to go because we knew that America was going to have a rough time because of our obesity problem. And one of my thoughts uh, for my supplement school people is you better have a weight loss program locked and loaded because the minute that COVID breaks, we'll be dealing with a lot of people that put on a bunch of pounds, stress eating their life away. Mm, so I feel personally attacked. <laughs> so we need to address this obesity problem, of course, uh, in America in general. And we also need to address any weight loss that has come because it is a very clear risk factor. Imagine if you could do something that would cut your risk in half of hospitalizations. Would you do it? Would you take it? If it was a pill, if it was glutathione or N-acetylcysteine, you'd be all over it. <laughs> or right? Xenadrin. Xenadrin. Please bring back the original <laughs> recipe. <laughs> right? So you would do that. You would do something that would reduce your risk that much. And so let's 
let's do that. So we'll talk, I'll talk about that in a second, but anyway, uh, then lastly, the motorcycle rally thing that happened in Sturgis. Sturgis. So there hasn't been like a significant, like a 40,000 case increase and, and who would know because the numbers are being fudged. Nobody's reporting correctly. Yada, yada, yada. But there was interesting study done on the cell phone data, and it says that 61% of all counties in the U.S. have been visited by someone who was at Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Oh, gosh. Which is like the equivalent of like the travel from New York City. Right. So pretty nuts, uh, considering it's like a fraction of the number of people. So, uh, But yeah, that could have made things really, really bad, and it might have, and we just don't even know. So. So that's my COVID update. Those are the things that were pissing me off, I guess. Uh, I did my rant this week on the glutathione stuff that we talked about. Um, So check that out, woodstockvitamins.com. My weight loss update, I think it's time for everybody to join me. (laughs) It's time. The obesity risk is clear. So I do free consults, woodstockvitamins.com slash consult. Um, Right now, 225. Um, And I'm hoping to get to 220 by my birthday which is great, but I'm like glass half empty because 220 was like my upper limit before, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, don't get 220. That's that's too much. And like everybody's like, oh, you look really good, but my abs come from sucking in my gut. I say that all the time. And <laughs> it's because I have a very powerful gut sucking uh, reflex. So, all right, let's do this. Mm. The five supplements you should stop taking right now. Yes. So this was actually one of my most popular articles. It um, was viewed something like 40,000 times. Wow. <laughs> and shared like a couple thousand times, I think, which, you know, we get like two to 5,000 people reading my stuff every single week. So to have that number was pretty awesome. So I figure we can discuss each one. But first, let's talk about the criteria here. The Vital Five are my core nutrients, right? I think that there are five nutrients that almost all of us would benefit from. They're generally missing or at least difficult to get from our diet. But if target levels are achieved, they'll have a positive impact, not just on one thing, but a bunch of things. So it's kind of like a lot of bang for the buck, right? Right. And if you use the Vital Five, you can address a number of common problems. Like people come to me all the time. I can't sleep. I have uh, a messy gut. My brain fog is huge. I've got joint pain. And typically almost all of the common things people suffer from are resolved by hitting those nutrients at the target levels. So that's where the vital five comes in. So in order to me to say like, listen, this is going to be the anti-vital five. I need to have criteria there too. So here it is. It's it's almost in that same exact framework of the vital five. So it's, it's got to be a non-essential nutrient where vital fives are essential nutrients. And in this situation, there's no real risk of deficiency. Whereas with Vital 5, if you don't get enough of it, you're, you're screwed, right? Even in the poorest diet, there's no risk of deficiency, okay? The second is poor data to support its use, where with Vital 5, we say we want the stuff with the most data, right? Um, or if there's data showing that if you supplement, you'll be harmed from it. That's obviously another criteria. A majority of the products on the market that are available to consumers have some failing or direct risk that we need to address, and then the last criteria's use at its best is a tremendous waste of money, right? So I always qualify this list because there's a number of people that will hear me say the things I'm about to say and be like, well, it worked for me. Right. And so the items on this list 
are what cross my line, right? I try to be a super duper liberal dude about supplements and, and give it a pass, give a, an ingredient or a supplement a pass based on even weak data. If there's just some little glimmer of hope, I'll be like, sure, sure, no problem, especially if safe and made correctly. So this is based on my experience, my professional training, my reading of the literature, and a lot of that behind the scenes stuff. If I know that the raw materials are always garbage, you know, I'm going to say something. So let's go through the list. I will, should I read off like what the five are or should I just? Yeah, let's hear them first and then dive in. That's fine. Okay. And so I actually, on one of our Facebook posts that was getting shared a lot, some guy like, he's like, they're there are these five things. You don't have to read the article now. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks, Superman. You saved the day. I appreciate that. God forbid <laughs> you, somebody out there reads the article. Like I make no promotion of any product in my article. Yeah. And it's like, hell man. All right. So here's my, my anti-vital five-ish supplements that you should stop right now. So the first is bacillus-based probiotics. And there's a little asterisk associated with that. Apple cider vinegar. Grapefruit seed extract krill oil, and lithium. I also say that anything that's pumpkin spice flavored needs to go because when I wrote this last, it was freaking October. So, <laughs> and then we put in- Everyone's pump- so mad at pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice Tampax I put a picture of here. I, I uh, did- Which hole does that go in? <laughs> I did a whole, um, whole. I, <laughs> I did a whole thing about Michael Scott because as I was typing out the glutathione article, I'm like, I'm just tired of saying the sentence- Another quack cure was, you know, introduced for COVID. Like how many times have I played whack-a-mole, right? And so I just did all of Michael Scott saying no, you know, like all the millions of gifs that are out there about that. So, all right, into it. So bacillus-based probiotics. So I talked a a bunch about soil-based probiotics before. There is nothing inherently wrong with them if there's data associated with their benefit. The problem comes to the market. So- A bacillus-based probiotic is something that's found predominantly in soil, right? And uh, bacillus bacteria are like cockroaches, okay? Mm. So they survive temperature, water, uh, extremes, right? They can survive at all. And that's why supplement companies like to use them now because they're cheap. You don't have to try to keep them alive. You know where they're going to be after a nuclear holocaust. So we know where they're going to be when you take them. So – the the problem with that is is that the same with almost all probiotics is is if you get the wrong one it could be harmful so you know i'm not making this um i guess connection and being anti-science myself but i'm going to say it like anthrax is a bacillus bacteria oh right? no kidding. <laughs> yeah so we know bacillus bacteria a lot of them to be pathogenic or troublesome right so that would mean it's very important that we do the probiotic correctly and identify the specific strain of bacillus bacteria that we're using in our products. So that way I can look at the label and say, okay, it is this thing, and then be transparent about the fact that there is no other strains found in your probiotic. But because almost all bacillus-based probiotics that are on the market aren't doing those basic requirements and recommendations from the, you know, probiotic standard groups, the, the, the big groups out there, I would say stay away from it mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's literally only being used because it's cheap. And then they're preying on the fact that you, you're not making that connection and that you don't know how to read a label. And so there are 
strains that will have benefit and we may in the future use them in some products. But again, it's very specific things. So I tell people in general, avoid them because the products aren't going to be what you want them to be. So can you just define for, I mean, I know the answer, but in case somebody doesn't, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between bacillus and lactobacillus? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. So, I mean, I'm no microbiologist and I barely remember any facts that are in front of me, but uh, I think it comes down to the, while they both have like the bacillus name there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I believe the bacillus part means like it's stick is I think is what that means, right? Mm. So, uh, or like rod and they're, so they're both rod shaped. That's where the bacillus comes from. Lactobacillus is, they make lactic acid from sugar. Okay. And the biggest difference is kind of what I alluded to is the fact that is that rain? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. I, I'm wondering if the listener is going to be able to hear this. We're we're towing a tornado line and it just started pouring. Yeah. I mean, if you can hear it, uh, call for help. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, the, I guess the biggest difference is this idea of spore forming. So bacillus can survive because they, uh, as they uh, die or get challenged, they turn into these little protective things, like they make a shell and then they go dormant. And then as soon as things get better, they can grow again. And huh. lactobacillus doesn't do that. And and yeah, lactobacillus is making lactic acid. So those are the okay. basic pieces. So, But what really matters is there are lactobacillus strains that are probiotic, there are bacillus strains that are probiotic, and then there are strains of both of them that are not. Okay. So what we want to do is we want to have probiotic strains at the right dose and we, um, for the specific function that we're looking for. You know, there's, there's different functions of probiotics. Um, you can take a probiotic. T- the, the most common one, I would say, is like this competitive exclusion. They're, holy crap, it's getting pretty nasty out there. Man. It really is. That's pretty funny. We might not make this. Um, wow. Well, let me put it to you this way. I'm not walking out to my car in this rain, so let's just keep going with the show. Yeah, exactly. We might as well just keep going, but like I'm going to get distracted by the rain. Blame it on the rain. Okay, so so the, I don't even remember what I was saying before the water just started leaking on my head. I'm just kidding. It doesn't do that. So, um, so the most common function is this thing called competitive exclusion where uh, a bacteria basically boxes out other microbes that could line your gut. So if you have lots of good probiotics in your belly, then you'll have less room and resources for the bad stuff. And there are some that explicitly like attack bad stuff. Then you have like mineral absorption, vitamin manufacturing, because we make our vitamins from our gut sometimes. Right. Um, You have uh, things like how likely are they to chew up the sugars that you're eating and cause less gas and bloating. Right. And yeah, so there's a bunch of really interesting things that probiotics can do. So, so yeah, so the different strains will do different functions and features. So we have to tie the specific strain to the clinical data surrounding the thing that we're trying to get. Or you could just say, hey, Neil, what should I take? And I'll just point to one for you. <laughs> Uh, the second one is apple cider vinegar. Oh, I have so many thoughts on this one. I wrote a huge article called A Pharmacist's Perspective on Apple Cider Vinegar. It was the most controversial article I've ever written in my life. Um, a lot of it, like, people are like, oh, you don't believe it works? I'm like, I'm, it's not the tooth fairy. 
I know it doesn't work. So there's no physical way that apple cider vinegar can have any effects that it advocates to have, right? Um, like it helps with diabetes or it helps with heart health. It's vinegar. That's it. It's acetic acid. There's nothing else there. Uh, some formulations have the mother, mother, and it's which is like the the fermented bacteria that are making the vinegar in the first place. Mm -hmm. But those aren't there because they're healthy for you. They're there because they ferment stuff well, right? right. Which is two different things. So. You know, the idea of using it for every condition, because that's what everybody uses it for, is pretty interesting. Um, taking more acid, especially vinegar, if you have reflux, again, people will tell you all day long that it helps out. And I'm not one to stop people normally, but the part of the conversation everybody leaves off is the other part about how harmful it can be. So ask any dentist, and they'll mm. tell you apple cider vinegar people have the worst enamel, mm. period. Ask any gastroenterologist, and they're going to talk about how they have the worst reflux and their esophagus looks like a hot mess. Oh, wow. And that's real stuff. That's not just us kind of spitballing. I mean, if you want to use apple cider vinegar, your dentist will love you. Um, but I just think it's one of those things where the media basically says natural versus pharma, and then everybody goes natural. Uh, it just... We're, we're taught here to downplay the side effects or risks of natural products, quote unquote, while over-dramatizing the pharmaceutical effects. Like People will be like, I don't want to take omeprazole. I want to take apple cider vinegar. And I, I go, what? Because omeprazole has long-term risks of calcium malabsorption, but can stop Barrett's esophagus and cancer from developing in people at high risk or vinegar. Hmm. <laughs> so it's for me, it, it's one of those things where we have lots of anecdotal evidence, but lots of real damage that we tend to downplay. Uh, and again, there's nothing in there that could physically change anything in your body, period. And except for increased the amount of acid that's in your esophagus and stomach. <laughs> I think it is kind of ironic that you're leaving out one of the biggest like pop culture applications of it, which is weight loss, mm -hmm. which is what I have that anecdotal evidence for, mm -hmm. which is that, and um, I also, you know, like have seen a handful of YouTube videos about it. Mm -hmm. And we've all come to the same conclusion. Like who thought that it would work for weight loss? I will say this because I, I did know about the erosion of like enamel and your organs and stuff. So I have gone with apple cider vinegar tablets mm -hmm. and, in the months that I've taken them, I see a slight slimming in my cheeks, like the slightest, not worth it, mm -hmm. totally not worth potentially eroding my esophagus. The only thing I will say that apple cider, apple cider vinegar has ever worked for is an upset stomach. And what I have found is that you mix it with honey in water and if you need to throw up, it'll make you throw up and you'll feel better after that. Or it might settle whatever, like if it's going to settle your stomach, it'll work or it'll make you throw up. Um, that has worked for me like a home remedy since I was a kid. But for the, I, I hadn't even heard the applications that you listed when yeah. I read the article, I was mm -hmm. like, well, that's bananas. Why would anyone think that any kind of vinegar would help with that? And as far as weight loss goes, I mean, just eat a salad. Yeah. <laughs> the vinegar is not helping you. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems, it, it seems as though, um, the, the age old adage of like, I want quick, sexy and easy, right. Uh, stands here with apple cider vinegar. Everybody would do everything 
for weight loss except for eat less calories. Yeah, well, and I it's mean, t- it's difficult. I mean, I've been talking about it for months now about how hot of a mess it was. You know? Yeah, well, so. and I am, you know, I'm I've been struggling with it. I am making practically no progress. I keep yo-yoing the same twelve pounds over and over. It's getting very frustrating. This is kind of why I tend to give up on weight loss, but mm-hmm. I, I refuse to give up permanently, especially with COVID mm-hmm. hanging over my head right now. But mm-hmm. um, as you know, and now the listener's about to know, I have damaged my knee and mm-hmm. I have to find out what's Did going on. Did you say on hi that. to your knee lately? No. Say hi to your knee. Hi, knee. Oh, <laughs> you, you said hi, knee. Oh, I can't you believe I just walked knee. into I was not on top of that one. You said hi, knee. Yeah, That's my kid's like... favorite joke from age two to now, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really limited my activity. So now I have to be extra um, judicious about what I'm eating because without being able to move around that much, you know, I, it's so easy just to put weight on by mm-hmm. eating like, uh, you know, any amount of sugar for me. Yeah. Uh, again, the nutrition thing, it, it's really a mental game and you got to be ready and you got to do it and it stinks for a little bit. But if you do it correctly, which is the method that we teach, you won't be hungry. You'll be eating real foods instead of junk foods. And then it's really just about not having the stuff around you. So that way you can not be tempted because you'll lose. Then that's it. The reason that most of us gain weight like me, uh, it's because I just have no willpower. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have discipline uh, occasionally, uh, but I have no willpower. So, all right. Number three, grapefruit seed extract. So there are a couple bits of confusion about seed extracts in the supplement world. So there's grape seed extract and grapefruit seed extract. We understand that grapes are little green and purple things and grapefruits are those huge things that all of a sudden everybody wanted to eat, even though they're disgusting, and it interacted with all their medicines. Like, I, I just remember at yeah. some point, <laughs> between, I don't know, like, it's like the avocado thing, like today, right? For some reason, like, we won't go places unless there's avocados there and guacamole, right? Mm. And the the grapefruit thing, we were in college, and like the stu- like it just started hitting the news that these drugs are now interacting with foods, oh my God, and grapefruit, and it's like, who eats grapefruits? They're horrible. But um Well, I mean, I actually <laughs> kind of love grapefruit, but I'm weird like that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's mostly statins that they interact with, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. So so the the grapefruit seed extract thing is interesting because people use it as an antimicrobial effect because it's an antioxidant and because it's gonna stop your heart disease dead in its tract. Right. And I just kind of wish that my cardiologist friends knew about grapefruit seed extract. They wouldn't have to go to college and they don't have to treat any (laughs) patients because then they could just use that thing. Right. Yeah. Here is the interesting thing that everybody needs to know. The antimicrobial effect of grapefruit seed extract is coming not from the grapefruit seed itself, but from contamination caused by industrial chemicals, such as the stuff triclosan, which is found in like those antimicrobial soaps that the doctors use at their offices, right? So in 2012, the American Botanical Council had a report talking about the quality issues and a significant majority of grapefruit seed extract is adulterated and any observed antimicrobial activity is due to synthetic additives, not the grapefruit seed extract itself, period, end of sentence. Therefore, wow. grapefruit seed extract is not sold. I believe we have no products that have it. I have grape seed extract, but not grapefruit seed extract because you can't get a good one, right? And that's it. So it stinks, right? That's crazy. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know, and they go for it, and they go nuts about it. So, 
Um, so that is three. Number four, krill oil. I freaking hate krill oil. I'm going to punch them in their mouths because mm-hmm. they're just, they're, krill is whale food. It's the tiny little creatures that are in the oceans. They mind their business and they're just living their best lives, right? They're posting on Instagram and everything. So fish oil becomes popular. And then somebody says, well, how do I make a product that's like fish oil that can be different and uh, I can make a lot of money on it. And then, so now it's blown up as the superior source of omega-3. Okay. And I've talked a lot about fish oil. I've talked a lot about krill oil before, but I'm just going to drill down. The reason that omega-3 is a vital five nutrient is because it's hard to get the target dose of EPA and DHA, the two active ingredients from our diet. You'd have to have like two or three pieces of salmon every single day. A lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't even have two or three pieces of salmon in a month. I know I I don't. Well, put it on a bagel with some cream cheese and I'm sold. <laughs> All right, there it is. So um, so the problem here is that we need that 3,000. In order to get that 3,000 from a supplement, we have to take these high concentrates. We have to take lots of them. Um, the thing about krill oil is that most soft gels will have less than 100 milligrams. So in order to, for you to get that 3,000 milligrams, you need 30 soft gels a day, which if you go by the rates of the cheap krill oil, it's about $550 a month. So you'd literally be taking a single <laughs> oh bottle every day to get the 3,000 milligrams. So krill oil is a source of EPA and DHA, just like snail oil is and fish oil is and algae is and snake oil is. It's just a dilute source of EPA and DHA. And any of the benefits that people talk about it as the source aren't true either. So... Um, the idea that krill oil has this powerful antioxidant. Everybody's on a big antioxidant kick and nobody wants to eat their antioxidants. So krill oil has something in it called astaxanthin, right? Astaxanthin is found in like colorful stuff, like shrimp, right? right? It's what gives its color a little bit there. So, And shrimp thereby turn flamingos pink. That's true. That's That's my kid's know that as well. And I'm glad you haven't <laughs> let go of that. It was just it's thinking one of my favorite facts. <laughs> the, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and mitosis is programmed cell death, right? So like those are the things that you remember is like in shrimp. Or, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, um, but here's the deal is that yes, krill have astaxanthin in it. 12 milligrams a day is astaxanthin. It has like mediocre clinical data. Most krill products have less than a fifth of a milligram in them. Oh right? my God. So if, you do the math, I think it's like 4 billion or something like that, krill oil that you need to get it's the astaxanthin dose. It. Yeah, it's not worth it, right? So it's it's that pixie dusting effect or dose-related deceit that happens in the natural products industry just because there is omega-3 in krill or there is astaxanthin in krill doesn't mean it's giving you the dose that will actually do something in your body. And that's the, the reason for the Vital 5 is that we have to identify what these nutrients are and then we have to make sure that we get the actual dosage from a product that's clean. And so... Krill, beyond those things, the dose-related problems, they're gross. With omega-3 products, it's dose and gross. We have to get the right dose, and then we have to make sure that it doesn't have all the plastics and heavy metals and general gross stuff that happens with fish, right? And oils, because that's what it is, they get rancid. They turn into fry grease at McDonald's, right? And so krill degrades pretty fast. And there was actually an industry study that showed that at the time, I think it was like two thirds of krill oil manufacturers are producing rancid oils. So 
Gross, 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 gross. So yes. I would say that if you want omega-3, you would want to get it from fish, not krill, because you're going to get a concentrate. So this, right. I believe krill oil is the ultimate supplement ripoff. Like there is no supplement that is a bigger ripoff than krill oil. Sounds like it. Yeah. The last one that I'll do here is lithium. <laughs> I have asked so many guys online mm -hmm. if they are on lithium mm. because I guess they think they're going to woo a lady with these ridiculous hopeful platitudes. And I'm just like, what world are you? Li yeah, I know. How, do they can how does all that connect? They <laughs> you know, when a guy just says over and over, like, uh, you know, the, the sun will come out tomorrow or some nonsense like that. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Are you, are you actually an adult man? I don't know. It's yeah. so like, I think they're just trying to put their best foot forward and I'm like, all right, just take it down a peg. Yeah. I don't speak to guys online There's except a... for Christian Mingle. I spent a lot of time over there. <laughs> um, so lithium is a mineral and it's found in like our drinking water and in our bodies. Okay. If you take a big dose of it, it's a mood stabilizer. It's prescription, right? The doses are between 150 to 450 milligrams up to three times a day. And it's most commonly found in the lithium carbonate form, mm -hmm. right? And then there's this supplement that's like a half to 20 milligrams of lithium orotate, okay? So if you Google lithium, you'll find stuff like, here's the benefits of lithium. Lithium's the magic mineral. One guy... I quote here in my article says like the side effects and toxicity are non-existent when lithium is used as a nutritional low dose supplement. That's pretty nervy, you know, for him to, to speak. So, um, I guess like graciously about the subject. Oh, okay. You're such an expert. He has literally no background. Uh, and he's basing that on nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, lithium is awesome. It's a great drug, but I tell people about like a dirty half dozen of drugs that where the efficacy and the potential toxicity are way closer than the nice comfort zone that we're used to. And lithium falls into that. So if you don't regulate your lithium levels correctly, you can be in deep doo-doo. Okay. Um, so lithium isn't something that you want to avoid if you need it. It's just something you need to be cautious about. And that's the case with those medicines. So Caution, though, isn't something that the supplement industry is good at, <laughs> right? They're not respecting us. They're not respecting the manufacturing process. Somebody almost died from vitamin, well, 140 people almost died from vitamin D overdose because of a supplement company mistake, right? right. Uh, and that shows that people are screwing up all over the place. So I believe that bottling up lithium at any dose and using it without a doctor is bad idea. It's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to be disrespectful about. So I honestly didn't know it was available without a prescription. It is. And a lot of people tend to use it and it becomes part of that charlatan re regime, you know, like they mm -hmm. want you to use it. And the truth is, if you look, there's lots of toxicity in people that are using lithium orotate over the counter. So, um, don't, don't think that you have some sort of lithium deficiency. That's not true. Um, the testing is, uh, not accurate that they're, they're using. And I just don't trust supplement manufacturers to, to make something that's could be potentially dangerous like that at a level that would be safe. So, so I don't sell lithium and I tell people that if you are on a lithium supplement, that's something that you should get rid of right away. Now that's not something that you have to like slowly come off of. You can probably just stop as long as you're not taking more than the 20 milligrams. And again, lithium orotate is different than lithium carbonate, which is the medicine. So, hmm. so that's the five. Those are you know. five things. Now, there's also like a couple of supplement 
categories that I tell people that they shouldn't take no matter what. And it's any supplement that you're taking and you have no idea why and any supplement that isn't in the right form or dose. Okay. This goes to my role as a supplement strategist. We want to take the right products and the right forms, the right doses. And we got to know why, and we got to make sure it actually helps us. So there's got to be a reason. We can't approach supplements like we do. It only benefits the manufacturers. That's it. It doesn't benefit us. So um, there's a list that I put on the bottom, <laughs> just to be kind of funny. We talked about Kratom. Kratom's banned by the FDA. It's pretty much an opioid. Don't take that. Two 70-year-olds came in the other day looking for it. You guys sell Kratom? And like, twitchy. So I'm like, oh. yeah, like I, I feel like only my scummiest of friends <laughs> are into that. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of keep it there. Um, I also say MLM supplements. So the pyramid schemes, right? I just don't trust pyramid schemes to buy, you know, a light bulb. Uh, you know, you can buy things through the traditional model. Uh, talk about megadose B vitamins. That's the whole like MTHFR nonsense. We've addressed a bunch on the podcast. Vitamins A, C, and E uh, kind of go on a list for me too, because I believe we take, these are things that we end up taking too much of in the synthetic isolated chemical form. Vitamin A, C, and E often are in multivitamins or like women's health products or like nutritional shakes. And I've done the math a bunch and my patients are taking factors more than they actually should be taking. So I call these high dose synthetic isolated micronutrients or HD Sims. So be careful with vitamin A, C, and E. They're not horrible, horrible, but you probably are taking too much of it. So Noted. And the last is melatonin. So I am cool with melatonin when it's used correctly, but we've talked about here and we've talked about in articles. It isn't used correctly most of the time. It's not a sleep hormone. It's a darkness hormone. You need to take it as it's getting dark. You need to go to sleep when uh, you get tired and you need to control the lights in your house because if you take melatonin and then your lights are on, you're reading your iPhone with a blue light, you're screwed. <laughs> it's not going to help. It's going to shift your cycle. You're going to lie to your brain and you don't want to do that. So, uh, so that's that. So do you have any thoughts about any of these? Uh no, I mean, just as far as what you just said, you know, I work with computers so much and I have every nightlight possible, like the colors on my mm -hmm. phone, my mm -hmm. computer, even my TV, all of that. It's just as amber as I can make it. And it really makes a difference. Um, I think I have said on another podcast that when I switched careers, you know, I used to do like um, uh, uh, jewelry, like I was a metalsmith mm -hmm. and um uh, then switching to computers was a real shock to the system, and it really messed with my balance. It was a very noticeable difference. And then as soon as I switched to the amber lighting, I, I, I will say that I haven't gotten back to what I remember my balance to be, which is frustrating to me, but it has made a huge difference in not like, you know, the, I, I really I fell out of bed so many times when I first started using computers. That's not a joke, even though I'm laughing about it. And mm -hmm. at least now I can stand up in the morning without throwing myself across the room inadvertently. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think that you uh, should just use caution when it comes to using supplements. They're not as safe and effective as everybody believes they are. I think that uh, we're going to drown like dirty rats here with this rainstorm. I'm uh, sorry about the thunder and the lightning behind you. I hope nobody hears anything. I think that'd be funny because then it's just like the crazy people just talking to ourselves about the rain. <laughs> I kind of hope that they can hear it so <laughs> they can hear exactly what in the heck is going on outside. Yeah, like I'm waiting like... for the roof to be blown off. Right. So, all right. So that's it for this time. Until next time, keep listening, keep learning and be well. <laughs>